Welcome to the Denver Community Church Teaching Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us today from wherever you are. Whether you attend one of our Denver locations or listen online, our hope is to explore and participate in the life of Jesus so that we can be a healing presence in our world. As you listen to this teaching, allow it to begin a conversation between you and God, you and the Bible, and you and your community. If you have any questions about DCC or this teaching, you can email us at info at denverchurch.org. And if you'd like to financially support our community and beyond as we set aside 20% of every dollar given to support our partners locally and around the globe, you can text the words Denver Church to 77977. That's Denver Church to 77977. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Amanda Lum. I'm the teaching adult ministries pastor on staff here. It's great to be here with you this morning. If you've been with us uh, the past couple weeks, you know that uh, throughout Lent this year, we are looking at the Beatitudes, which are the nine blessings that Jesus speaks over his disciples and his followers in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five. For these six Sundays in Lent, we're getting curious about the Beatitudes We're exploring the invitations that they still hold for us today. And today we're going to continue. We'll be looking at the fourth blessing. Uh, But before we do that, I think it's important for us first to understand a little bit more about the Beatitudes, more about what they are and what they are not. See, it's easy for us to read a list of blessings like this or the Beatitudes. And I think it's easy for us to make them into something that I'm convinced they are not. And that is a set of rules, right? A list of to-dos, to accomplish, goals to achieve so that we can obtain God's blessing. It's easy for us to list, like read something like the Beatitudes and go, oh, okay, I get it. Jesus, Jesus is giving us the rules, the things we have to do and follow so that we can get into heaven or, or we can obtain God's blessing now. We make it transactional. It's about our behavior, But see, the Beatitudes in the Bible, they're not just a set of rules, right? It's easy to read it like this. A few years ago, I was talking with a friend, and uh, my friend, we started talking about the Bible. And he said, you know, the Bible really is, it's just a rule book for Christians. There's a lot of rules in there. They follow those rules, and they can get into heaven. Now, immediately when my friend said this, I felt this, like, real sadness, And I paused for a moment, and I thought about what he'd said. And then, finally, I spoke, and I said, at its worst. And he was like, what? And I was like, well, listen, when we make the Bible just a rule book, when we reduce it down to little more than a list of to-dos so that we can be blessed, well, we're missing the point. The Bible is a love story. It's a story of God's relentless love. It's the story of a God who is constantly chasing after her people, who has given absolutely everything because she loves them so desperately. The Bible is a love story, and we are wrapped up in it. Now, my friend's view of the Bible, I don't think it's that uncommon In my time in the church, I've noticed how easy it is for us to see the Bible as a rule book. I've heard the church and and followers of Jesus talk about it in this way. Have you ever heard anyone like hold up the Bible and say, Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth? Has anyone heard this? Catchy, right? Horribly inaccurate, but 
catchy nonetheless, right? See, we do this. We want to make the Bible into a set of rules. And I think we do this because it's easier. We think it's easier. If we know what we can and can't do, then we can make sure to do those things and then we'll be blessed and we can get into heaven, right? It's easier somehow. But the Bible is not a rule book. The Beatitudes, they are more than just a to-do list, goals to achieve so that we can be blessed. We've seen that the past few weeks as we've taken this deep dive into these blessings. As we've considered the Beatitudes, we've seen how deep and rich their meaning is. We've discovered the rich invitations that they hold for us. We've seen that the Beatitudes are not just a set of rules, but they are a way of life. The Beatitudes are active. See, when Jesus teaches on the mount, when he teaches these Beatitudes, he's teaching us what it looks like to follow him, what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. Here at DCC, you'll hear us say a lot that we are a community that explores and participates in the life of Jesus so that we can be a healing presence in the world. The Beatitudes show us what it looks like to live, to participate in the life and love of Jesus, to be a healing presence in our world. The Beatitudes, they paint a picture for us of what it looks like to participate as citizens of heaven here, now, to see the kingdom of God come. This is what the Beatitudes are. And I hope this morning, as we jump into this fourth blessing, the fourth Beatitude, that this can be the lens with which we see it through. It's a way of life. So, Matthew, in in chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 6, Jesus pronounces this blessing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There's some rich imagery here, right? These are some really heavy words when you think about it. Hunger, thirst. This translation says, for they will be filled, but the literal translation is, for they shall be satisfied. Hunger, thirst, Satisfied. These are words that we're familiar with. We probably use even every day. But they're words that really caught my attention in the past few weeks that I've sat with these verses. And words I think are worth unpacking some. So blessed are those who hunger. We know what hunger is. I know that. But when was the last time that you actually thought about what it is to hunger for something? Like really hunger for it. See, when we're hungry for something, we have this deep desire for it. We crave it. One definition for the word hunger that's used here in Matthew is to suffer want. We want it so desperately, so badly that it hurts. It's painful. That's what it is to hunger, truly hunger for something. When was the last time you felt that kind of hunger? Have you ever felt that kind of hunger? A few years back, um, 24 other people and myself here at DCC participated in a challenge called 25 and Change, and we committed to eating only rice and beans for 25 days, but we could only eat if someone chose to give money to provide meals for kids who are hungry in the world. So we we did this challenge because we wanted to raise awareness about global malnutrition and to help feed kids who are hungry. 
So like I said, we could only eat our meal of rice and beans if someone chose to donate. Now, participating in this challenge, it gave me a look into what hunger really is. Now, I, I want to say this. It was not the same um, as what, sadly, so many face every day who are truly hungry. And it wasn't the same experience because I had access to food. And I made the decision to only eat when someone would give. But it did give me a picture of what it's like to be hungry. And I have to say, several years removed from it, I can still remember the shock I felt in those first few weeks and how just physically demanding it was. But not just physical. I wasn't just, I mean, I was hungry, but it wasn't just that feeling of like, oh, I need to eat. It was all I thought about. It was all I talked about. It was all I cared about. Ask my friends. It's literally the only thing I talked about for 25 days. I was consumed by this need and this hunger to make sure that I was gonna be able to eat another meal, to make sure that we were providing meals for these kids who were hungry. I remember checking the website, like hitting the refresh button. That tab never came off my computer. It was just like, refresh, refresh. Can I eat the next meal? If I eat the next meal, is it gonna be enough? Am I gonna feel full? See, when we are really hungry for something, it's all we think about. Every part of us, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, everything longs for this. And it's similar with thirst, right? Like right now, I am thirsty. <laughs> Gotta love it when that happens. Thank you. That was, you couldn't beat that real-time example. <laughs> uh, no, it's similar with thirst, right? When we thirst for something, we have this deep desire, this craving for it, right? We suffer in our want, suffer in our thirst. One definition to describe the word thirst that's used here in Matthew was to eagerly long for something. Everything in us is longing and when we are extremely thirsty, nothing is going to stand in the way of us getting to water, to that refreshment. Nothing will stand in our way. Hunger and thirst. Jesus tells us that when we hunger and thirst, that we'll be satisfied. Another rich word, right? If we hunger and thirst, we'll be satisfied. Our needs will be met. Our expectations will be met. We will be full. This word actually kind of paints the picture of abundance. When we hunger and when we thirst, we'll be full abundantly. But Jesus doesn't tell us that we just hunger and thirst for anything. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So what is righteousness? I'm glad you asked. So the word, uh, the Greek word used here for righteousness is actually the word dikaiosune. And that word, while it is often translated in the Bible as righteousness, it is also translated justice. So dikaiosune means both righteousness and justice. So what is Jesus asking us to hunger and thirst for? to suffer in our want for, to crave and to desperately seek justice. Now, remember, the Beatitudes, they are a way of life. 
not a list of things to do, but a way in which we participate as citizens of heaven here on earth to see God's kingdom come. So knowing that, this beatitude then is reminding us that we, created in God's image, are created with this divine hunger and thirst for justice. That we are created to hunger and thirst for justice like Jesus. That we are created to long for to suffer in our want, and to desperately seek justice in our everyday lives, just like Jesus. So the question is, are we hungry? Someone is. Like that. <laughs> yes. This is why as a mom, I always have like granola bars or, you know. Um, no, are we hungry? Like, really hungry? Are we thirsty for justice? Are we really? Now, if you're like me, you hear that question and immediately you're like, yes, of course, absolutely. I absolutely want God's justice in this unjust world. I mean, which one of us is here is going to answer no to that? But sit with this question just for a moment longer. Think about what it is to hunger, what it is to thirst for justice. Are you hungry? Like, really? Are you suffering in your want for justice in our world? See, the longer that I sat with the question, the more exposing it was. See, I realized that my answer to the question wasn't no, but it wasn't yes. See, the longer I sat with the question, the more exposed in me. The longer I let the question linger in my life, the more I found myself resisting it. And I resisted it because it was exposing something in me that I didn't like. It was exposing something in the church that I didn't like, in our world that I did not like. The question was exposing indifference. The question exposed my own indifference, my own lack of concern, my, the church's lack of concern when it comes to justice, our world's lack of concern. It didn't expose a real hunger. exposed indifference. And that's vulnerable to say. See, this indifference that I encountered when I found it in myself, I have to say immediately, I was like, oh, I felt horrible immediately, just absolutely terrible. And I tried to jump on that behavior train and was like, okay, what do we got to do? And I started lecturing myself about getting my act together and start doing something. But here's the deal, guilt and shame don't work. They don't change. They don't lead to transformation. And so when I stopped lecturing myself and stopped shaming myself, I decided, let me get curious about this instead. And so I started to ask, why? Why am I indifferent in the face of injustice? Why is the church indifferent in the face of injustice? Why, if we are created in God's image to hunger and thirst for justice, then why do we find indifference in its place instead? 
Well, two years ago this month, the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a pandemic. Two years ago this month, we entered into likely the most uncertain time, hopefully the most uncertain time that we will ever know in our lives. Two years ago this month, the world shut down in a global pandemic and everything that we knew changed forever. We didn't know it was going to change forever though. Y'all remember that? We were like, oh yeah, two weeks, we'll let this pass by. Moving on, next thing. No, we had no idea. We didn't see it coming, right? I remember just two days before everything shut down in Colorado, I watched Frozen 2 with my kiddos. And y'all, I have to tell you that in the moment that I was watching that movie, I had no idea how prophetic Elsa's song, Into the Unknown, was going to be for all of us. In the weeks to come, my kids would be watching the movie, that song would be in the background, and I'm weeping in our kitchen. Into the unknown. I mean, it was chaos, absolute uncertainty, nothing. We had answers to nothing. I mean, it was terrifying. We all went into survival mode, grabbing our toilet paper and paper towels, right? Our entire world went into survival mode. 2020 was terrifying. It was a year like none other. And COVID-19 wasn't the only enormous threat that we faced in the past two years. Y'all remember the murder hornets? (laughs) That happened. You can't make it up. Well, actually, in 2019, if we would have heard of murder hornets, and someone would be like, there's going to be murder hornets, we're like, you're making that up. That's not real. Now, 2022, we hear about spiders raining down from the sky, and we're like, that sounds about right. (laughs) Okay, but in all seriousness... The last two years have held more pain, more suffering, and more heartache than we could have ever imagined. Ever imagined. Pain and suffering absolutely caused by COVID and the loss that we've experienced, just immense loss and hurt. But the pain and suffering experienced, they weren't just caused by COVID. No, the pandemic exposed the massive injustices that our world is soaked in. Injustices that were always there, but in our vulnerability, when life stopped, these injustices rushed to the front of our minds and they needed to. The pandemic exposed what was there. Things like families being torn apart at our borders like climate crisis, political unrest, racism, misuses of power, war and oppression. It exposed our immense division and the threat that that poses to almost everything in our lives. This is just to name a few of the injustices that were exposed, that were always there. Every day our news feeds were filled with With pain and suffering every day, our our social media pages, our conversations, they were just filled with the heartache and the pain of the unjust systems in our world. It was overwhelming. See, the past few years, they've been heavy, and we've carried that weight for longer than we ever expected. For the better part of two years now, 
we have been in survival mode. Think about that. For the better part of two years, we have been surviving. Our world has been surviving. And we cannot ignore the toll that that has taken on us as individuals and as a world, as people. The past few years have been heavy, right? We've been surviving. One heartache after another has left us bracing for the next catastrophe. We see a long light out of the store and we're like, why is everyone buying everything again? And we go in and we buy everything just because there's a long line. Like we are holding our breath, waiting for the next hard thing, aren't we? So much heaviness, so much heartache. And as human beings, we are naturally pain avoidant. We are naturally going to take the path of least resistance. And the past two years has been drenched with pain. Maybe this is why it's become so easy to be indifferent. We want to hold the pain out here because we can't bear to hold it here anymore. We want to keep it out here because we can't take another hit. We've been flooded with heartache. So instead of allowing ourselves to feel hungry and thirsty for justice in the face of injustice, in our survival, we become indifferent. And to protect ourselves, we choose to numb. And we numb by consuming whatever it is in front of us that can help us be distracted from feeling the pain. Can anyone relate It'd be good to have a hand. Okay, thank you. I'm like, ah, just me. Okay. No, we, of course we can't, right? We've convinced ourselves that somehow it's better to just feel nothing. So when something hard or painful surfaces, we distract ourselves from feeling the heartache of it. And we distract ourselves by consuming. There's endless ways to consume, right? Endless ways to distract ourselves. We are masters at distraction, aren't we? Yeah, I see some nodding heads. Good. Okay. See, what's fascinating to me is that our consumption seems to have no end. It's a bottomless pit. I mean, how many times have you come home after work and you're like, ah, I'm just going to watch one episode, right? You sit down, you're like, it's been a long day, one episode, I'm tired. Next thing you know, it's 4 a.m., and the next episode bars at the bottom and you're like, oh no, I probably, okay. Grab another bag of chips and we are good to go, right? Our consumption, once we start, we can't stop. This is the endless scroll. Thank God Instagram put a you've caught up part, right? Somehow we're like, maybe I haven't though, I don't know. Right, this is the endless clicking on related articles, this is when we tell ourselves, oh, just one more podcast or, or just one more level to beat. One more cat video, I promise. But it's never just one more, is it? No, we're addicted to that numbing, that distraction. It keeps us from feeling the pain. There's endless ways to consume. See, Lent feels like the perfect time to be talking about this because a traditional practice throughout Lent is fasting. How many of us have given up something for Lent? Yeah. See, we, someone's laughing. No, they didn't. Um, right? No, we've given up something for Lent, but fasting is a part of Lent. And in, in this sacred practice, we voluntarily abstain 
from our consumption of something. And we do this so that we can recognize our dependence on that thing. We do all this in the hopes that we would cultivate a greater awareness of God and a greater dependence on God. Now, I've given up something for Lent this year. Um, It's a really sacred, beautiful practice. And in the past, it's been so rich for me. But it's interesting this year that I decided to give up streaming shows because this is absolutely the way in which I am numbing and keeping, kind of clinging to indifference in my life. It's absolutely the way that I am consuming to stay numb and distracted. And so I decided that I'm going to give up fast, or I'm going to fast from these online shows, okay? Because every day, whether it's a hard day or even a good day, I get my kids in bed and then I hit those Netflix documentaries. (laughs) I have taken a deep dive. (laughs) Is anyone with me? Great. Come talk to me after. We'll chat about all the shows. Okay, but here's the thing. I gave that up, and it was about 24 hours before I got a bit uncomfy with the space that this opened up in my life. Just the silence. I'll be doing chores, and I'm like, I need to have something in the background that's distracting me from my pain and talking about someone else's pain. Okay, but here's the thing. This is what I find shocking. It took me like three days to find something else to fill that time. I stepped away from my consumption of online streaming, and now I just listen to a lot of podcasts about all the same things. In 2020, um, I actually stepped away from all social media, and I was talking to my friend Dave about it, and he was like, oh, that's good for you. That's tough. Like, what has that meant for you? And I straight up looked at him, and I was like, well, I'm doing a lot of online shopping now. I mean, there are endless ways for us to consume. We can't be even just a little bit uncomfortable before it's so easy for us to go and pick something else up and go, I'll just do this instead. It's better because I'm not doing that. But it's also not opening up any space in us, right? It's just something else to consume. There are endless ways for us to consume, endless ways to numb and to keep us indifferent. Here's what's interesting, though. Whatever it is we're choosing to consume, it never satisfies. We are never full. Maybe we're never full because these things were never meant to satisfy in the first place. These things will never satisfy that hunger and thirst that lives inside us that we are made to feel. This hunger and thirst that we are made to participate in that brings justice to this world. These things will never satisfy because they will only ever keep us distracted from feeling that hunger and thirst that is in us. So Jesus teaches, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they shall be satisfied. So for us to be satisfied, then, we need to stop distracting ourselves. We need to stop numbing. We need to step away from our indifference. But before we move on, I want to say something about indifference, because it needs to be said. And that is that not all of us can choose indifference. 
Many do not have the luxury of that choice. Many cannot hold in justice the weight, the crushing weight of that out here because they bear the weight of it every day here. Many cannot have the luxury of just turning off the TV or scrolling past the uncomfortable headline. Many can't simply choose to be distracted to avoid the painful realities of our unjust world. And for those of us who can, myself included, we must recognize this. We must acknowledge this. And we must acknowledge that not everyone gets that luxurious choice. We need to acknowledge this and recognize our indifference because it serves no one. It does not serve those who are crushed by the weight of injustice and it does not serve us in our numbing to keep us from feeling that. No one wins. Somehow we've convinced ourselves that we'll be full and satisfied, but that's a lie. It only keeps us from being who we are made to be, which is to hunger and thirst for God's kingdom to come here on earth, to be here on earth as it is in heaven. See, I don't say this to shame us or to heap on guilt, because like I said earlier, shame and guilt do not lead to transformation. Shame and guilt won't lead us away from indifference. No, they'll actually just lead us to more shame, to more numbing, and back to indifference again. See, guilt and shame won't cultivate the divine hunger and thirst that our souls are longing for. So how then do we cultivate hunger and thirst for justice again? Well, I think a helpful first step is to be honest. To be honest with ourselves, that if we are feeling indifference or a lack of concern, that we are honest about it. We try to shy away from it, own it. And that is vulnerable. Are we indifferent? Are we numbing? Are we distracting ourselves to keep us from feeling a heartache? If we are, then our first step is to own it. And acknowledging our indifference is exposing, it's sobering. Owning it is vulnerable, but it has to be done. And this can be our first step towards cultivating a hunger and thirst for justice again. It's our first step to feeling again. Feeling what we're meant to feel in the face of injustice. To feel what God must feel when we see the unjust systems of our world, when God encounters our unjust actions towards one another. To feel what God feels. To feel heartache, sadness, brokenness, a righteous anger, to feel motivated to seek change, to feel motivated again to participate in the life and love of Jesus, who was constantly seeking out the kingdom of God and seeing God's justice come. 
See, our numbing, it keeps us stagnant. Our distractions, they hold us back. But when our hearts break, for what breaks God's heart, then we are moved and we are compelled to action. When that hunger and thirst for justice is cultivated in us again, then we move. We live like citizens of heaven, ushering in the just kingdom of God. Now we hear this, that our first step is to feel again. And maybe if you're like me, you feel tempted to just like jump in. All right, I'm going to feel all the things right now. Let's get going. Let's do it, right? But remember that we can't check this off our list of things to do. We need this to be cultivated in us. And that process is that a process. It can't just be something we're like, yep, I got it. Okay, moving on. No, you have to let it grow. Cultivate this in your soul again. So my suggestion is that we start slow. Let ourselves feel again. Maybe like the psalmist, we ask God to create in us a pure heart and to renew in us a steadfast spirit again. Maybe this cultivation looks like confessing. Confessing your indifference, our indifference, the church's indifference in the face of injustice. Maybe it's confessing and owning that and welcoming all the uncomfy feelings that come with doing that. Maybe feeling again looks like fasting from something, something that you've been consuming or something that's consuming you. Maybe it looks like my friend Becca, who isn't giving up social media for Lent, but instead is giving up her consumption on social media. See, she's recognized that engaging on social media looks a little bit like just scrolling past people's lives and taking in whatever we want and then moving on. We are consuming that. So instead of consuming, she's instead going to see. She's going to see and acknowledge and engage with what people are vulnerably putting out into the world through social media. She's committed to seeing people and engaging in their lives and not just consuming them. She's committed to welcoming all the feelings that come along with that. That's a beautiful example of what it looks like to engage again, to feel again, to cultivate this thirst and hunger again. Now, if you are feeling invited to fast from something, let us be aware of how easy it is for us to just replace that behavior, to replace consuming this thing with this thing right? Maybe instead of quickly jumping into another thing that we can consume, we allow our fasting to open up space in our lives to just be, to just be in the presence of God, to be still and know that she is working her goodness into our lives and into our world again. Maybe feeling again looks like sitting down at the end of the day and listening to a song that opens something up in you, that stirs emotion and feeling again. 
I'd suggest that you start with Hello, My Old Heart by the, oh, hello, or what is it, Hello, Goodbyes? Yeah, oh, yeah, I get like a cheer for that. You, amen. It's a good song, seriously. Give it a try. But welcome the feelings that come when you're just sitting. Welcome them. Maybe it looks like taking 10 or 15 minutes in your day and lighting a candle and just letting yourself be in the presence of God. Letting or asking yourself, how am I really doing today? What am I really feeling right now? A dear friend of mine has made this her practice to just sit, ask how she's feeling, letting those feelings surface. She names them, she acknowledges them. She welcomes them and she keeps company with them, letting them do their work. See, for me, stepping away from indifference has been starting my day with Father Thomas Keating's welcoming prayer. First moment I open my eyes, I say these words, welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me today because I know it's for my healing. Sometimes I say, I welcome everything that comes to me today because I know it's for our healing. Because we are a community. And what we do matters, not just to us, but to the world in which we live. And I have to say, the past few weeks, starting my day with this prayer, I can see myself opening up just a little bit more every day, feeling just a little bit more every day. And when I feel tempted to numb, to consume so that I can't, I don't feel this pain anymore. Well, I silently say these words to myself again, welcome, welcome, welcome. And the words, they help build in me a courage to feel the discomfort, heartache, brokenness, and pain that I desperately want to avoid in that moment. These words are a gentle reminder to me that I can feel this and that I can allow this to cultivate in me that hunger and thirst that I desperately desire, that hunger and thirst for God's kingdom. See, there are countless ways for us to step away from our indifference and cultivate a hunger and thirst for justice again, to feel again. And if we do, Jesus tells us that we will be satisfied. The world will be satisfied. So the question left to us then is this. Are we willing? Are we willing to feel again, to hunger and thirst for God's justice again. If we are, Jesus has this blessing for us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they shall be satisfied. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful that we are safe in your presence. Safe to bring our pain and our brokenness, our hurt. Safe to bring our shame and our guilt. Safe to confess our indifference. I pray, God, that in your presence, 
you would create in, heart, in us a pure heart, a heart like yours. God, I pray that you would renew in us a steadfast spirit. I pray that we would be those who would have the courage to name when we are indifferent and the courage to allow ourselves to feel again so that you can cultivate in us a hunger and thirst for justice. Justice for our world, which so desperately needs it. God, I pray that we would say yes to participating in your love and life. That we would say yes to imitating Jesus to see your kingdom come. We pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.